0: I want to introduce to you a special speaker uh, that I've invited to come and share today. His name is Dr. Richard Halcombe, and he is here with his wife, Tina. Uh, Rich is from the Columbus, Ohio area uh, where I served for a number of years, Uh, but Rich has very deep roots in Texas. Uh, He was uh, executive pastor at Champion Forest Baptist Church just outside Houston. Uh, for a number of years before he served there in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, In Columbus, uh, Rich serves as the Director of Missions for the Metro Columbus Baptist Association, which means he serves approximately 126 churches, Uh, 22 of those churches speak languages other than English, and 17 languages are represented in those 22 churches. One of the things I was so amazed with when I served in the Columbus area is just how many international people end up in Columbus and how the Southern Baptists, led by Dr. Rich Halcomb, create churches amongst those people that come from all over the world. And so that so many people come to know Christ who have moved from other places to Columbus, learn about Jesus, and then how that word goes back to those places. Uh, where they originated. And uh, Rich is a leader in that uh, ministry. Rich was uh, uh, here with us three years ago. Some of you may remember he was the person who kicked off our We Love Our Church campaign that allowed us to renovate this uh, worship center and so many other parts of our campus. Uh, Rich spoke at our kickoff banquet. At, uh, many of you will remember uh, that happened as we had a sort of a rodeo theme and had some barbecue and came in here. And the Lord just created, as Rich spoke and as so many other things happened, uh, created an excitement here that allowed us to be able to do all this for the glory of God. Uh, Rich was instrumental in all that happened here, both as uh, the person who spoke at that banquet, but also Uh, As an unofficial and unpaid, sorry about that, Rich, uh, consultant behind the scenes as we were able to put that together, Rich consults with pastors and churches across the country, helping them to harness and focus their gifts and resources uh, for the kingdom. Now, the reason, though, that I've invited... Dr. Halcombe to come and share is that because Rich loves the Lord, uh, Rich and his wife Tina have a model marriage uh, that's an encouragement, I know, to pastors in the Columbus area and Christians there, and I look forward to him coming and sharing some of that with us today. So let me lead us in a word of prayer, and we'll begin uh, to hear Rich teach God's word. Father in heaven, thank you that we can gather like this on a Mother's Day uh, to celebrate mothers, but Father, to celebrate all the ladies that you have uh, given to our church that serves so well here, uh, the kingdom of God. As we celebrate that and as we look to you, I pray that you'll speak to us through your messenger today, that you will be honored and our lives will be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Rich, you come and share.
1: Thank you Pastor Noel. Well it's always great to be back in Texas. We lived here in two different places for an extended period of time and uh, <clears throat> God sent us as missionaries to Columbus, Ohio. We're still there as missionaries uh, serving there. But even getting off the plane, you and know, I remarked how it just feels like home here, right? Uh, so people ask me well, what's the difference in Ohio and Texas? I said well the weather and the people. They said, what's the difference between the weather and the people? I said, both are warmer in Texas. (laughs) So we love being here, and it's good to see my good friend, uh, Pastor Deer. And you have a gem of a pastor. A good friend of mine, I know him on a personal basis. Yeah, go ahead and give him a hand there. I hated to see him move from the Columbus area, but I'm so thankful for how God has used him here. You may know, in 2015, the Southern Baptist Convention had their annual meeting there in Columbus. So I was in charge of the week before that, called Crossover. So the first position that I knew we needed to put that together was a lead leader for our prayer ministry. And your pastor, Pastor Noel, is the one that I recruited, and he agreed again without pay uh, to do that. And God did tremendous things there: 3,385 volunteers, 130 different gospel ministries all going that week 385 people saved incredible and just to see the difference in the building here and your church body as you've weathered the pandemic and looking forward to all that God wants to continue to do and even increase the days and the weeks to come so it's great to be here Um speaking on marriage today I am a model husband yeah model husband <laughs> you know what a model is a model is a small imitation of the real thing right so that's uh That's where I am today. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, our focal passage will be verses 31 and 32. Today we're talking about one of the keys to marriage. Now there are other keys, but if you don't have this one particular key, your marriage is not going to make it, and it's not going to make it well. And that is in the area of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Of having something that was done to you, that was hurtful, that was wrong, right? Whether intended or unintended, and then you forgive the other person. There's an article in USA Today a few years ago. They interviewed couples who had been married 50 years or more. And they asked them, what is it, how is it that you made it 50 years? I interviewed one lady. She said, well, every time my husband did something wrong that hurt me, I wrote it down and then i made a list of those things and forgave him for all of them. and the interviewer said well where's the list? she said you know i never got around to making that list. yeah. one of the areas where we mess up more than others is in the area of forgiveness. another pastor had a couple come up to him they had gotten in an argument years before he had divorced for 30 years and he asked if he would they asked him to remarry them for perhaps they would have some happy years left. On the other hand, you have a guy like uh, Romeo Bittencourt. He was a a farmer in Brazil, Porto Alegre, Brazil. 90 years old, nine zero, 90 years old, married 65 years, 12 children, 50 grandchildren, 36 great-grandchildren, they got a divorce. When I asked him why, he said incompatibility. (laughs) You know that you can live with somebody and harbor a resentment or a grudge against them? For years. Well, how do you know? Here's some ways that you may know if you're harboring unforgiveness. It's what I call one way to be sure you're going to live a miserable life, right? So one of those is every time you think of that particular offense or that event, you still feel angry. Maybe an indication that there's a lack of forgiveness there. Um, Another one could be that you have a subtle secret desire to see, maybe your spouse, pay for what he or she did to you. They hurt me, she hurt me, he hurt me. I wouldn't mind seeing them hurt a little bit myself. Here's another indication. Indication that you may need to forgive. It's when that person's name comes up, you're more likely to say something negative about him or her than something positive. Uh, Another one is, I sometimes find myself telling others how my spouse hurt me. Could be an indication that there's some unresolved anger or resentment there. Now, there are ways that we deal with that. Now, these aren't supernatural ways. These aren't necessarily good ways, but these are some ways that we deal with it. Uh, One way that we deal with that pain that people cause us is to detour. So we mentally take a detour. We mentally go somewhere else. Sometimes we watch TV a lot. Uh, Some of us become workaholics, that you just work and work and work, because you think by working you won't have to think about what's at home and go back and face it and feel those resentful feelings again. Sometimes physically you try to avoid them. It used to be the wife or the husband comes home, the other spouse drops whatever they're doing, meets them at the front door with a hug and a kiss. Tina has always done that, which is great. You quit doing that. And you just make a point to leave right before the other one gets home. Like two ships kind of passing in the wind. And on the outside, you're pretending like everything's okay, but on the inside, you're hurting and in some ways resentful. Another way that people deal with hurt, is to deny it. You say things like, well, that didn't really bother me. That didn't really upset me. It really wasn't that big of a deal. If it keeps coming up, it's a big deal. It doesn't matter how small or large the offense, it matters how it is that it affected you. So we try to deny it. We say we're not thinking about it, but even when we say we're not thinking about it, we're thinking about it and bring it up again. Uh, is one of the ways we deal with it naturally. Another thing people do sometimes is just try to bury it, to swallow it. Uh, mentally, we sort of dig a hole, put it in the hole, put the dirt back over it, and think somehow it's done, and we know that it's not really done. Those aren't good ways to deal with it. Jesus gives us a supernatural way, the Bible does here in Ephesians 4, to deal with that pain and anger and hurt that other people inflict upon us. So what I'm talking about today is you were actually hurt, right? It it actually stung. It, it, It dented you. It dinged you emotionally. So I'm not asking you to pretend like it didn't hurt. It really did hurt. So we're talking about real, literal pain where somebody did you wrong, sometimes intentionally, sometimes maybe it was unintended, but no matter what the intent was, that it did hurt you. Do you know that sometimes, and I find this more often than I would like to believe, often the person who did you wrong does not even know that they did you wrong. There was a couple eating breakfast together, and as they did every morning, they got out the loaf of bread to make toast. So the husband pulled the heel of the loaf of bread out, buttered it, and handed it to his wife. They'd been doing this for years. One morning she says, you drive me crazy. He's like, what are you talking about? You always give me the heel. And the husband said, honey, the heel is the best part of the loaf. He thought he was doing something nice, she felt like he was sticking it to her, and they were both miserable. So what about you? Is there any name that comes up, any particular situation that comes up? Let's look now at the Bible at Ephesians chapter four, start with verse thirty, and see how it is the road to unforgiveness, and then God's going to show us the road to forgiveness. So here are Ephesians chapter four, verses thirty through thirty-two. Scriptures say, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Now, notice the progression here. The Bible says, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice." Then He tells us what to do: be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave. So, the road to unforgiveness starts with bitterness. Bitterness is a long-standing resentment. It's a nursing of our wrath to keep it warm. We brood over and think about and ruminate about the hurts and the insults that were done to us. How could he have said that? How could she have done that? I'm married to somebody who would do that to me, how is that possible? What kind of person am I to put up with that kind of thing? That's bitterness. That's rolling it over in your mind time and time again, and each revolution, the resentment grows. The more we think about these things, the more deeper rooted they become. Whereas Hebrews 12, 15 tells us See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. So, when you plant tomatoes, and I've done this a few times, you get tomatoes. When you plant peppers, you get peppers. My mother in law years ago gave us just a scattering of pepper seeds, so I planted all of them, and they were all growing. So, I saw one that looked like a bell pepper, Uh, looked like a green bell pepper, except it was a lot smaller and it was orange colored. So I thought, I'll just take a bite out of it. So I was in the garden and I took a bite out of that. And after about uh, two-tenths of a second, (laughs) felt like my head was coming off with this habanero, right? But I got a habanero because I'd planted habaneros, whether I knew it or not. When you plant bitterness, you're going to get bitterness. When you plant a root, you get the fruit. So if you're rolling over something that somebody did to you that was wrong in your mind over and over again, it's going to latch on to you. It's going to be planted in that soil of your life and have tentacles all in the other different areas. So so here's one thing that most people don't realize. Um, they, They don't realize that if I'm bitter and harsh and bracing myself against one person, I'm also bracing myself against everybody else. Do you know that? That if I'm brooding that bitterness in me and I'm nursing that, it doesn't just affect my relationship with that one person, it affects my relationship with other people. Have you ever talked to somebody or, or said something and they just pow, blew up? Do you know you don't have enough power to make somebody else that miserable? It wasn't just that one comment. Sometimes, often maybe it was something that was brewing inside them, and you just happened to be the one that pulled the trigger. So bitterness. The first step is bitterness. If you find yourself there, it's important to forgive and get out of that before it goes to the next step, which is wrath. Wrath comes from the word thumos, which means fire. The Bible talks about kindling wrath. This is where you have resentment, but then you fan the flame of resentment for it to grow bigger and stronger. We say things like, he's burning with anger. And you do burn. But you burn on the inside more than you burn on the outside. That that resentment is almost like an acid that does more damage to the vessel that holds it than it does the item on which it is poured. Wrath. So you have bitterness, the long-standing resentment where you continue to nurse it. And then wrath, the fire builds within you. Then the next step is anger. It's more subtle and more deep flowing. It's whereas wrath burns on the outside, anger burns on the inside, and it will literally eat you alive. Early days of television, there was a program where one of the characters appeared in a big heavy coat on a hot summer day. So he opened his coat and showed to his friend that he was holding he was strapped with two sticks of dynamite. And the guy said, "What are you doing?" He said, well, you know, so-and-so, yeah. He said, every time he comes over, he's always poking his finger in my chest. He said, so the next time he pokes his finger in my chest, I'm going to blow his finger off. (laughs) 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 Not realizing what it would do to him. Do you really think you're damaging the other person or hurting the other person by holding that against them? He may not even know. I've had wives tell me, well, of course he knows. I said, well, how's he going to know? Well, he hurt my feelings when he made fun of my cooking. So it used to be every Friday night I would make his favorite meal. Now, every Friday night I don't make his favorite meal. Now, I'll ask for a show of hands on this. How many husbands would ever put those two things together? Never going to happen. All that's going on in your own mind. And the fact that he doesn't get it just makes you more angry because he should get it. What would be clear to anybody, (laughs) ladies, it's not clear to us. I, I don't know. Even when you tell me sometimes, I don't get it. How is it that that? Sometimes it's a little communication. But always it must result in forgiveness. So from bitterness to wrath, anger to clamor. Clamor is a word that means a shouting or a loud talking or an outcry. Proverbs 15:1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's when people start yelling a whole lot. <laughs> you, ever, you ever been there? Uh, my house growing up, it's not that everybody was angry, but everybody yelled all the time, right? I had two. So there were five of us. You know, today's Mother's Day, God bless my mom. There were five of us. I was the oldest of five boys. I remember one summer day, we lived in a rural area. We lived with minimal resources. So there's five of us. It was like a circus, a zoo. I mean, just wrestling, screaming, yelling. I remember the prevailing thought for me that morning was, I wonder what I could do today to aggravate mom. (laughs) And that's the last thing that that woman needed. But there's a lot of yelling, but it wasn't that we were angry. It's just kind of how that family functioned. But for you, you may find yourself yelling in a way that you never have before. It's kind of like a jack-in-the-box, where when you're brooding that wrath, you have the -the jack-in-the-box and you have the little handle. Have you seen one of those? And then somebody touches it, pow! Why did the lid come off of that? you ever wonder why you get so aggravated, start yelling, at something that seems to be such a small thing. It may be that that cup of yours is already almost to the brim with resentments of hurts that were done to you. And that one drop is all it took for it to spill over. And then the last step down the wrong road, the road to unforgiveness, is slander or evil speaking. It's built up to such a large point, and the other person may not even know. But then you say things like, I hate you. Why did I ever marry you? Why should I stay in this relationship? Evil speaking. The Bible tells us not to do that, it tells us to forgive. It tells us if we don't forgive, after slander, there's malice, which is really a desire to harm physically or verbally. So in the last week, you heard that Bill and Melissa Gates decided to part ways after 27 years of marriage. I don't understand all the ins and outs of that. I don't know their marriage, but I know that it's not working. Why is it not working? Well, it depends on two people. And in a great marriage, you have a third person there who is God. So you have the husband, and you have the wife. And I don't know about the Gateses, but in our marriage, we also have God. So our goal as a couple is to be closer and closer to God. And when we get closer and closer to God, we by default get closer to each other. The things that seem like such a big deal in year one don't seem so big in year 37, which is how long we've been married. Uh, we went out to for our 36th anniversary at a place in Columbus and the waiter came up and he said, is there any special occasion? Yes, this is our 36th anniversary. He said, well, how did you make it 36 years? I said, well, we never quit. <laughs> Listen to me, fellas. There are many days you stay married only because you said you would. That's the only reason you need. Listen to me, ladies. On days, the only reason you stay married is because you stood in front of God and a whole bunch of people who were close to you and said, I do until death separates us. So those of you that have been married, how many of you have lived every day with the bliss of marriage, Every day's an encouragement. Every day the bluebirds are singing. and the Okay, there's one, right? Yeah. We have counseling available for the people who don't tell the truth in the back of the worship center here. Uh, and I believe God gave me this in my first, uh, first church to teach me something. He, there's a couple that came in who was having a rough time in their marriage. And in the midst of the conversation, the, the counseling with the couple's Each of them said, you know, if our marriage could just be like so-and-so. And and they mentioned this other couple. They seem to get get, get along so well. They enjoy each other's company. They're always together. You see them holding hands. So later that week, that couple came into my office for marriage counseling. And things weren't going well. And in the midst of this, this is so ironic, it's incredible. Each of them said, you know... If our marriage could just be like, and they mentioned the couple that was in there earlier that week. They seem to love each other. They are affectionate towards each. (laughs) What you see on the outside is not what you see on the inside. Now, I do believe, and I have a great marriage, but it is required work. And and you hear that a lot. It, It requires work in the areas where I didn't think I needed work. It requires work in the areas that actually I was the most proud of. There's a self surrender that comes with marriage that it takes a great marriage to have one. So, I've been married 37 years. So, as as I mentioned earlier, I grew up. So, my dad was in the Navy, and then he was a mechanic, right? Kind of rough kind of guy, tender heart, but rough on the outside. So, I grew up with five brothers. So, just to show you the kind of merciful atmosphere that we had as kids. I remember we were all fighting and arguing, and my mom, this, this was her word, not mine, she, she said, I want us to have a family powwow, right? I want our family to get together and talk through our issues and see what's going on so we can love each other more and care about each other more deeply. Now, doesn't that sound like a good thing? Yeah. So, so, so in my house growing up, there's the front door, then there's the living room, and then living room, and here's the dining room, here's a kitchen, and then there are some steps down to the basement which is, so the basement steps are right on the other side of that wall of the living room, very small house. So in the appointed time one evening, we're all sitting in there not knowing what to expect, you know, so my dad's there, my four brothers and me and my mom's there just saying, I just really want us to get along and it doesn't seem like we are. I want us to love each other more. So somebody makes some kind of wisecrack, right? Something they thought was funny. So my mom jumps up crying, bawling, Runs out of the living room through the dining room kitchen, is sitting on the basement stairs just sobbing. Oh, 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 oh. And we could hear her through that thin wall. Oh, oh, oh. We're all just sitting in the living room. <laughs> and somebody says, well, I guess we're done. Okay. <laughs> so that's the tender heart of mercy that I brought to the relationship, right? I had a lot to learn. We were in seminary housing up in Fort Worth, and I said something I shouldn't have said. She goes into the bedroom. She's on the bed crying, sobbing. Tina is. So I go in. think, Good husband. Go see what's wrong. So I go in. Tina, what's wrong? She says, nothing. I'm like, okay. Let's. <laughs> so I've learned a lot. But I can tell you. <laughs> We don't have time for Tina to give a personal testimony, so just take my word for it, right? <laughs> but I can tell you, the man that I was then would have called the man I am today a, a wuss. Right, a pansy. The, the guy at age 21, I was 21, she was 19, we got married, would have thought this guy at 59 just wouldn't be a man enough. And that guy at 21 was dead wrong. That guy at 21 did not know how to be the husband that the guy at 59 knows how to be. It's those kind of things you got to give up and surrender and forgive if you really want to have a great marriage. And the Bible tells us how to do that. Here it says later, here in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Just as God also forgave you in Christ. So that word tender-hearted literally means to have healthy bowels. You know, we, we talk about having a good heart. They talked about having good bowels. Uh, so we're talking about tenderness on the inside. There's a patient who went to his doctor and he said, Doctor, I need a pill for my colitis. And the doctor said, Really? Who are you colliding with now? <laughs> what you do or don't do emotionally often shows up Physically. We say that person makes me sick, or he's a pain in the neck, or maybe you've heard this one, maybe you haven't, but you're getting your bowels in an uproar. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. What is that about? It's about the effect that emotions have on your physical being. There's a book by Dr. S.I. McMillan called None of These Diseases. He says medical science recognizes that emotions such as fear, sorrow, Envy, resentment, and hatred are responsible for the majority of our sicknesses. Estimates vary from 60 to 100%. One patient was told by his doctor, If you don't cut out your resentments, I may have to cut out a part of your intestinal tract. Now, does every resentment show up physically? I don't think so. But I do think it's probably more connected than we would ever realize. The spiritual, the emotional, The physical. But it tells us here how we are to forgive kind and compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. How am I supposed to forgive Tina? The same way that Christ forgave me. Well, how did Christ forgive me? He forgave me completely, didn't he? He didn't pick and choose. Well, you meant it this time, so I'm not forgiving that. You didn't mean it this time, so he doesn't do that. Forgives totally, completely. Over in Corinthians, we read in the love chapter that love keeps no record of wrongs. One fellow said, every time we get in a fight, my wife gets historical. Guy said, hysterical, no historical. She brings up everything that I've ever done over our last 10 years of marriage. Forgiveness does not get historical. One of the biggest hindrances to your relationship today is the lack of forgiveness over past events in that relationship. It affects how you greet them. It affects how you meet them. It affects how you love them. Christ forgave us completely. But Christ also forgave us discreetly. Now, thanks be to God that he did not parade all of my wrongdoings for all the world to see. Right? I'm grateful to the Lord that my sins and wrongs don't show up on these screens. He doesn't do that. So let's not us do it. I've had women wonder why their husband doesn't talk to them, right? He used to talk to me, doesn't talk to me. Well, your husband heard something bad about him from the husband of one of your friends that you told. So the husband shares something with the wife. The wife tells it somewhere else. It comes back around. So the husband's thinking, I'm not doing that to myself again. I'm just not going to talk to her at all because I don't know where it's going to go and where it's going to come back around. I'm not putting myself at risk like that. It's not just that he doesn't want to talk to you. There may be a reason for that. Discreetly. The New Life Version says, you must be kind to each other. Think of the other person. Forgive other people just as God forgave you because of Christ's death on the cross. The other thing Christ did for us when he forgave us is that he forgave us freely. You know, forgiving, English is a great language. So we have forgiving where we forgive people's trespasses against us, but we also have forgiving where we forgive a debt that was owed to us. It has, has the same kind of impact. When you are resentful of somebody, when you haven't forgiven somebody, you have the idea that they owe you something, Right? They did something to me. They hurt me. They wronged me. So somehow they're going to have to pay. We even use that monetary language. They need to pay for what they did to me. We say a criminal has to pay his debt to society. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. is a model prayer. But when we forgive, we give up the resentment. We give up the claim that the other person has to pay us back. I don't want you to have to pay for what you did because I'll recognize that Jesus Christ already paid for what I did. And when you think somebody owes you something, to that same level, that person owns you. Have you ever been around two people that were at odds with each other? And this person does something and this person reacts. Well, look at what he did. Or look at what she did. Or look at what So it's almost like the person who wronged them controls the other person. If I feel that you've wronged me, and I'm watching you to see that you do something wrong, and I'm looking at that, and I'm responding to that, and that's determining where I go, where I don't go, how I feel, what I don't feel, you are owning me. It's almost like this little uh, toy we had when I was a kid. It had a frog with an air bladder underneath it, and there was a little button here that you push. Every time you push it, the frog jumps. When you think somebody owes you every button that they push, you jump, right? Forgiveness means I give up the the thought that somebody owes me something. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19 says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If you're going after that person, you're not leaving any room for God to work. When I start to think that somebody owes me something, I start to think about all the people that I owe something. I grew up four younger brothers My dad worked was never enough. We were on food stamps. Church brought us food on Christmas morning. There were uh, the nicely wrapped gifts we knew were from the church folks. Right, my mom and dad were always very open about that. Um, So who do I owe? I owe my dad. My dad had a a great job in in Washington D.C. I worked as a mechanic. He left the best job that he ever had, retirement, vacation, left the best job that he ever had for our family to be in a better spiritual climate. And now when I go back, I am so grateful for my dad that he struggled till the day he died, but that allowed me opportunities to know Jesus Christ and know people that loved him that I would not have had in the place where we lived Before. I owe Ronnie West. He was a deacon in my home church. He helped us. He sent me $50 a month for the first two years of college, which was a king's ransom. Nobody in my family had ever gone to college. I managed to go. He supported me and helped me. Who else do I owe? I owe my mom. My mom did not get a full night's sleep for over 40 years to care for my two special needs brothers who were up all hours every night. She set an example of a godly woman raising five sons and staying faithful to my father even though he was a very different, difficult man his last 10 years of life. He had a medical condition. He was not the same guy. But my mom stayed faithful to him. I remember riding in the family hearse on the way to the cemetery after my dad's funeral service. I'm in there with my mom, driving there to the cemetery to bury my dad thinking mom you've kept your word you stayed in that marriage when most women wouldn't you forgave and you put up with things most people wouldn't my marriage is better today because my mom did that I owe that woman I owe my sweet wife, Tina, who grew up in a horrific situation. You can list all the kinds of abuse and every box is checked. So for her, living in one place would have been a lot better, where you know everybody around you and they know you. But she has traveled with me. We have moved all across the country because of what God has called us to do. And she has done that faithfully and without regret. Doesn't mean it didn't hurt. Um, I remember when we left Texas. Very difficult. But we believe that God wanted to use us in a way in Columbus that he has now for the past 18 years. I owe her. She's given her life to me. I've given my life to her. Together, we've given our lives to God. I owe the churches that I serve, Dublin Baptist Church. Up in Ohio, they taught me things about leadership and dependence upon the Holy Spirit and prayer that I'll never forget. I owe Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, serving under DeMond Shook as a senior pastor. It was a, it was a master's class in leadership and humility and godly following of all that God wants to do in your life. So the moment I start thinking, somebody owes me something, how can I forget the people that I owe? Nobody owes me anything. I have to forgive. Christ talks about that in a model prayer. Over in Matthew chapter 6, he says, verse 9, Our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And listen to verse 14. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. Your forgiveness and God's forgiveness are connected. As he forgives you, he expects you to forgive others. You got to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Holding that hurts you. Holding that burns you. Holding that affects you and every other relationship in your life. You got to let it go. God forgave the debt I owed him. I forgive the debts that I think other people owe me. So this year, the Olympics will be in Tokyo. Supposed to be last year, 2020 got postponed because of the pandemic this year in 2021. So I remember the 1996 Olympics, which were down in Houston. We were living in that area at the time. Some of you may remember Carrie Strug. So at that time in 1996, the girls Olympic team had never won a gold medal as a team. They'd won a lot of individual medals. Mary Lou Retton, also from Houston, won a gold medal for her performance. But as a team, they hadn't done it until 1996. So Carrie Strug, on one of her vaults, injured her foot and it hurt her, and you can even see her as she's going ready to run for the vault, she's favoring that leg. I don't remember if it was a right or a left one now. So at that time, they thought that their gold medal, that the team gold medal for the American girls gymnastics team depended upon that next vault. So her coach, Bella Caroli, told her, Carrie, the gold medal is in your hands. So she ran, vaulted, Stuck the landing, landed on that hurt foot. And they won the gold medal as a team. And the coach picked her up in his arms, carried her to the gold medal stand, put her there to receive the gold medal. Carrie Strug was hurt. She was injured. But she knew the gold medal was in her hands. So she risked being hurt again to win the gold medal for her team. Everybody here has been hurt. You've been injured. You've told yourself, I don't want to do that again. But God says, you got to let it go. You got to go for it. And when you do, unlike Carrie, with Carrie's struggle, it was uncertain whether she was going to do well enough for them to win the gold medal, right? But based upon God's word, I can tell you when you Release that. When you forgive and you stick the landing, you will win the gold medal. The gold medal of forgiveness and a life of peace and fulfillment and joy like you cannot know if you're harboring resentment. Because you have a coach who is God. When you forgive, he will scoop you up into his arms. Right? And he will carry you to the gold medal stand. He will put you there. He'll put a medal around your neck. And he's going to play your song. But you've got to let it go. You have to forgive. Or it can't happen. All of us here have been hurt. Some of you are thinking, well, preacher, you don't know what was done to me. And I don't. But I know that there is a God above who no matter what that looks like for your own sake, as much as anybody else's, it's time to let it go. And There may be some of you here who don't know what that forgiveness is like. You've never experienced that, that free, complete, discreet forgiveness from God that he offers to you, to, to any of us on any day and this one. That if you just confess your sins, if you just admit that it was wrong, and all of us have done wrong, if you confess your sins and repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ alone for salvation, he will forgive you. So it may be that you need to do that. That you don't know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about forgiving because you've never been forgiven because you don't know the Lord. He wants to forgive you. Or it may be that you have experienced that forgiveness, but you're not offering it to the person who sits across the table from you at dinner or at breakfast or whenever you're at home he wants you to let it go and forgive so will you forgive will you forgive her will you let him off the hook because of what God has done for you let's bow our head for prayer Father in heaven, we know to have a great marriage that we have to forgive. And for those that have been married for a long time have done it time and time and time and time again. But just because we've done it before does not mean that we do not need to do it again. We need to forgive those who have offended us, insulted, humiliated, and hurt us because you have forgiven us. We put our souls and our hearts in your hands. In Jesus' name.